coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I'm Andrew Farmer. With me, as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. Hello, Cole. Hello, everybody. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> this show's going to get real awkward real quick. Uh, <laughs> right. So, first of all, I want to thank everybody for... Uh, it seemed appropriate up to the point that it was highly inappropriate. Yeah, it was appropriate until it was It was like a, a battle plan that, you know, what do they say? Uh, they only work until met with the enemy, until it was out of your mouth. It seemed like a That's real right. great idea. <laughs> um, I just wanted to thank everybody on the top. Uh, Cole and I uh, launched a, uh, a new show uh, for the Jedi Cole universe uh, last week. Um, that's going to run in tandem with this one called All the Toys. So um, thanks for uh, bearing with us with that as we get that up and running. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun for he and I, and we, we hope it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun for you. Um, so thank you for that. But we are here today to talk about some comic books, Cole. All right. What are we talking about today, Cole? Well, this is – oh, God, I've lost track of our issues again. 57. 357. I believe so. Yeah, it'll be labeled right. <laughs> That's right. It, but I think it's 357. This may well be 357. So this is the Cheesecake Factor. And recently I sold a collection of comics that I've had just sitting around collecting dust. The bulk of them were for back in our um, – comic show days and our couple of years that we had a piece of the action collectibles, Catherine and I. And this was just, I mean, these things have been cherry picked at garage sales at the final days of the shop and other things for years. So almost everything worth anything was long gone. This sure. is the weird oddball stuff, the, 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 the Punisher issues that the, the weird smelly uh, carny from the, carnival that wintered at the mall <laughs> was, was gleefully buying the uh you know just a, a mishmash of stuff it was sort of like the the city speak from blade runner of comics and somebody bit on I mean, sight unseen didn't even ask for the list um because it apparently had a pretty decent price on it all so anyway getting all of that put back in alphabetical order after all these years and put into some nice comic boxes and just arranged and cataloged where I know where it was. I came across a lot of stuff that we wound up with years more so than actively bought. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it occurred to me that there was a big period in the nineties and two thousands that in many ways persists to this day. I don't know if it's as prevalent but it was certainly a big deal back then, and that is literally the scantily clad hot babe yes. characters or and or covers, because that was the idea of what sold a comic. Right. Yeah, no. <clears throat> yes. 100%. Uh, I mean, one of the chief offenders uh, was High Impact Comics, for example. Uh, they had a title called Double Impact and the cover of any given issue, one or both of the uh, 
principal characters, these, you know, um, swimsuit model uh, brunettes would have, you know, bare midriff action going on. Uh, there were, and then they also were among those. Um, High Impact gave us things like Helena. Yes. And Double Impact. Oh, yeah. And, uh, oh, gosh, what were a couple of the others? But the thing about it was most of their books, it got to the point where they would have a uh, optional, I guess you'd say, uh, what were the, the Double Impact girls? It was like China and Jazz or something like that. Yeah. They look like hot Tasha Yars. Yeah, pretty much. Not that Tasha Yar isn't okay. I I had a crush on Tasha Yar as a child. I will. I had. Let's be real. I had a crush on everybody in Next Generation. Uh, All the women plus Riker. Let's just be real. (laughs) Okay. Well, there you have it. Deanna Troy. They started having topless, and even to the point of having topless model covers. Crusher. This was. This was. Oh yeah. Morph. (laughs) <laughs> but only in the holodeck in the pirate outfit. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. John burned it up for me, baby. Or, or is Will Scarlet? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> should, this episode of this show is now holodeck Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> That's all we're going to talk about. <laughs> That's right. I am not a merry man. Um, <laughs> damn it. But th- this they weren't. I don't know if they were necessarily the first, but they were one of the bigger uh, perpetuators. Uh, perpetuators, uh, but you know, they banked heavily on this with their titles. Oh yeah, uh, including I, I stumbled in my research upon double impact butt shots. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, dude. The, and, and this is pre-Manara uh, Spider-Woman, by Which, the way. by the way, is in the uh, research notes for today. Oh, naturally. So, be ready. And another one started off innocently off. I'm trying to remember the publisher now, but uh, the publisher of Evil Ernie. Oh, Chaos Comics. Oh, hell Chaos yes. Chaos Comics, yes. So, Chaos Comics starts out with Evil Ernie. Which oh, here we go. It's <laughs> like a, uh, a reject from, uh, which band was it that had the... Are you Guar? No, there was that band that had like the it's like is it named Eddie or something like that. That's Van the, Halen, the corpsey looking guy. Are you talking about Van Halen? I, I may well be talking about Van I Halen. I think you're talking I about Van not... Halen. Yes, you're talking about. I think maybe or, or metal. No, uh, goddamn, Hunter is going to destroy I know. me. Um, <laughs> Megadeth. 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 I thought you could bail me out on this. God, Hunter, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, Hunter. Sort of, uh, always put me in the mind of that album cover series uh, character uh, of evil Ernie, who is just basically uh, most of him has rotted away except his, his uh, head and his very metal hair. Oh yeah. And, uh, and his hands, I guess. Not sure about his feet. I, there aren't many we never, he was of, wearing like combat boots all the time. So it was really yeah. hard to get a read on that. But uh, you know, he had this glowing uh, sort of toxic Avengers sludge, a whole lagoon of this crap out back, uh, going on in his body. Oh man, you're bringing back some some straight memories right but now. Spinning out of Evil Ernie, because Evil Ernie kind of you know had a built-in cell to the the metalheads and such like that. But if you really want to move some paper. Introduce Lady Death. Oh, yeah. 
and later Purgatory. Yep. Yep. Because they will exude a level of, you know, pull you through puberty drawings. It's like that old man in the clerks. They draw the biggest titties. Well, but you remember my Chaos Comics story from Chicago, from Wizard World Chicago 2000-2001, where they took the cheesecake from the page and and writ large and, and willed it into like page master they willed it into life <laughs> uh built a giant castle in the middle of the rose uh, the i think it was the rosemont convention center in chicago illinois and had co- and had proto cosplayers you know uh basically women that you you prior to the co- the comic convention would go to car shows you know yeah. um paid them money to dress up like purgatory and lady death and like stand in the ramparts of this castle or on the floor. Like, and I I do want to talk about this a little bit because in my recollection, now I have some history here that goes back to, you know, nose art on planes and Betty page. And I think that you, I, I don't even think that even at this point warrants talking about, because I think we all understand where this kind of came from. Um, but to my recollection, it was in the probably early nineties through the mid two thousands that this was the most prevalent and prevalent without, um, controversy in the sense that we would have it now, because it wasn't until this stuff kind of jumped to the mainstream that we started, wasn't until image that people really started losing their minds over this because as, as, uh, exploitive and as um uh seductive as they were they were still niche yeah i think you you've got a good point there and also the we had not yet reached the point as a culture that we had the instant outrage machine correct that we have today and you know there was a good 6 to 10 year period where comic companies like uh, Harris Publications had their various vampirellas. She got a long ass. Yeah. Same uh, same convention. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they they fielded I don't remember how many over a number of years who um, of various models who were mm-hmm. their convention vampirellas. I'd, yeah. I'd kind of be kind of curious to know. Um, Okay, I was right. Kathy Christian was the first official, and to my, for my money, one of the best. I Just think. The, one of the best. The OG. Yeah. Um, I thought she was one of their hottest models, and they had a couple who were really great, but uh, I'm saying that for a friend. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah, she was the, the first official, started appearing at conventions in the early 90s. So that's probably who I saw. May, may well have, because... Um, Chaos and Harris and a number of others would would just roll out the, the cheesecake. Okay, so let's let's talk about this because I mean we could sit here and talk about cheesecake all day and not get yeah. into anything that was that, that warrants discussion in any kind of real way because and I think this is what I want to talk about is how did this become prevalent and I think it became prevalent for the same reason that I. I the the zeitgeist changed you know 
this was these are children my age of the late 70s and 80s that ended up in this industry that were born into a world of uh, MTV, Cinemax, yeah. and Showtime. Um, the world had changed, and this was a reflection of that. But also, you didn't have – these were independent books that this was really born out of. Would you say that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the closest, say, any of your big guys ever came was, um, of course, you had um, – oh, um, you know, Marvel would send a guy out in a Spidey suit. <laughs> oh, yeah. But to, I mean, I mean even the but comics. You, you yeah, you really never had any great attention paid to your cheesecake-ier characters. Well, Marvel did – and we'll talk about this because i got a story about this – Marvel did pay homage to the cheesecake once a year. In, oh, that's so true. In the now, now epitomous with weird Jim Shooter era Marvel decisions, <laughs> the Marvel swimsuit issue. So, oh, yeah. So bizarre. Yeah, we, we absolutely have to talk about that because that was a cheesecake cash grab if ever there was one. But also, it seems, and I, I don't want—I don't want to dwell too much now because I do have a lot on that. But it does seem like, because I do want to talk about beefcake too, because those things weren't just cheese; they were full of beefcake too. Yeah, beefcake. <laughs> and uh, and they were. It seemed, and then by all reports, that was a great time of year, like in the in in the House of Marvel, because <laughs> everybody was having a goddamn blast. Doing like the giant Punisher uh, banana hammock on the Punisher, yeah. and like the Colossus wearing like the the strappy like the like Borat speedo thing. Like <laughs> everybody was just having a ball making this shit happen. So I do want to talk about that later. Absolutely, yeah, we definitely have to uh, cover that. But this very would... important period in Marvel history. But if I was eighteen. If I look back to where I was when I was 18 years old, and so, and I had an inkling of talent for art, and and or the drive to actually take some of the ideas that I had and make them into, you know, and and pull a pull a Mirage Studios and get lucky <laughs> enough, you know, to to either be Ben Edlund or or be tenacious and lucky enough to be Eastman and Laird and have a have an indie comic that got off the ground. I can't say that I wouldn't have made a Chaos Comics or, you know, a Gen 13 <laughs> or yeah, something I like mean, that because I was 18. Exactly. I was a penis with a legs. Like, that's what we are. I hate to be reductive to men like because everybody, that's the joke. That's the stand-up routine. But it doesn't stop it from being true. <laughs> it's, no, I, I can't uh, deny you that. I think we all at least made an attempt at something other than stick figures, uh, drew some cheesecake at one point or another. Well, you have, you know, you are by, by some, by some respects, I think you would consider yourself an artist. Yeah, I, I, I dabble. You dabble. And every now and again, I'll produce something to my satisfaction. But if, if you, if somebody came to you and said, you have the ability to create a comic at 18 years old. Yeah. And not only, and here's the flip side to that coin is, not only do you have the mind of an 18 year old boy, 
but you also want to sell it to other 18-year-old boys. Exactly, and you what and you, you were shrewd enough to recognize that market. I do want to say, since we're on the topic of, before we, we jump ship on stuff like chaos, I've, um, I do want to take a throwback to, uh, to tarot. Do you remember us talking about tarot? Oh, yes. Um, I want to, I want to address a, a, a disconcertion that I have. Okay. Um, tarot, the witch of the black rose is definitely, and w- what we're seeing now in the comics that use it now, it's almost an homage to the chaos comics cheesecake. So we're seeing this kind of like weird side rebirth cheesecakey stuff that is a, a nod to the stuff that existed prior to <laughs> this stuff. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of tarot, the Witchfinder cosplay out there. And I just want to, I, I want to make an impassioned plea. And <laughs> I know everybody's trapped in their houses. <laughs> I know we're all on quarantine, but Ladies and gentlemen out there who feel the need to to cosplay, maybe rethink the Terror of the Witchfinder decision. <laughs> there are better there are better characters to cosplay as. I might catch some heat for saying that. I'm not judging you. Just read some of the comics and then tell me, um, you know, because here's the. I'll just I'm just gonna copy this image and paste it into the chat for Cole, um, just so he can know. I know we've already looked at a bunch of this. But just so Cole can see, oh yeah, I've, the, I've looked the hell out of it. The uh, <laughs> the level of uh, cheesecake has escalated. There, it's like a <laughs> it's like an arms race for cheesecake, and it is it is escalated. Arms, my legs and breasts and rice. Just wait, Cole, and you'll. But anyway, yes. But but honestly, I, I to touch on a little bit of the history of cheesecake. It's nothing new. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, there you go, Cole. There's, there's better things to cosplay. There's better things to cosplay as. Um, cheese, cheesecake's nothing new. Like I was saying, born out of the pinup era, um, the the quote unquote nice girls era, the pinup era. You had your Betty Pages. You had your nose. You had your nose paintings on airplanes. You know that that translated to the page. People were people like Frank Frazetta does cheesecake. Oh yeah. You know, it, it's well, a. Chris Rosetta does this sort of uh, zaftig cheesecake. It's it's elevated. Apparently, his his Conan's the Barbarian uh, favor uh, a woman with some meat on her bones. Yeah, it's it's an escalated cheesecake situation with yeah. Frank Rosetta, but gives him more of an ing vibe than anything else. But he, you know, it, it's nothing new. It's the it's the brazenness. Of which we we attach our you know that that we see cheesecake through the early '90s and into into to 2000s and today that I think is the problem. And you I know, really think a lot of it comes down to there was such a saturation that as we start to yes. look back and you see people rifling through the back issue bins with their contemporary uh, sensibilities, then they're you know, invoking this sort of antique controversy. That yeah, we about. I was hoping we would get into some antique controversy on the show today. Um, it just, or, or so spoiling for a fight right now that, um, you know, everything is filtered through this extremely contemporary lens. It's like, how dare the past have had sensibilities that didn't match the present. Or, but I think, I think the issue is 
that, and I do want to make a call to to to, to Image, Image Comics, Witchblade, um, Gen Thirteen, DV Eight, um, Young Blood. It's when you took these the the ind- the independent concept of cheesecake, um, and folded it into the mainstream, which everybody was surprised the image became mainstream, but they did. Yeah. That it became a real issue. That it that it it broke through. It would be like it would be like uh, Game of Thrones was shown on ABC. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. Then all of a sudden there would be such uproar. Uh, and, and I agree with that because I think it was like First Comics or somebody like that uh, who was publishing Astro Bull, Speed Racer, and a handful of other titles went mainstream or made the attempt to go mainstream. Right. And got themselves into the the bookstores and the Seven Elevens or whoever was, God forbid, uh, rack job at that point. Yeah, still bothering, and discovered just this vitriolic hate mail that they were getting from people who were, um, you know, accused Speed Racer of being pornography. Yeah. I know and, pornography when I see it, and Speed yeah, Racer is not pornography. No, that is not pornography. And and so many other complaints. It was like, you know, did you even look at – what are you saying? It doesn't make any sense. Well, and also I think we need to discuss briefly the – the period of time at which these comics became mainstream, which was the early to mid nineties, which is the same time that we had the two live crew, Tipper Gore, Frank Zappa. So true situation, um, which is the same time we saw a buttoning up, a true buttoning up of, you know, American morals and ideals coming out of the eighties. Um, and, and we were seeing a backlash to that as well. So, you know, you it was definitely representative of kind of a punk rock. I mean, especially in the in the sense of image, where it was the young guys overthrowing the, you know, the the oligarchic system of you know two party rule in DC and Marvel um, that you had this born out of. And trust me, the controversy was real. The the way people felt was. Divided, and it was the first time I think in in, in our industry that I'd seen su- such division and vitriol, at least in my la- lifetime. It was probably the worst that I'd seen in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't know how. I mean, you were you were way more steeped into it than I was, so you might have an even better. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to point at a lot of these periods in history as you know, here's the jumping off for you know, everything being a controversy. Yet at the same time, you know, th- these were really hot button periods. Right. Right. I, I agree with that. But, you know, and then you have artists that, that, that lead through the nineties and into the two thousands that made it, that made it mainstream. Your Frank Cho's and your, even your Amanda Connors and your, you know, your, especially like your Greg Lands. Good night. That man, that man just that, that man has to have diabetes with the amount of cheesecake that he produced. Jeez. Um, um, but yeah, where do you want to go here, Cole? Where do you want to take this? Well, you know, you brought up Greg Land, and I think that's a good place to land. Oh. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
is because of a little, thankfully not long-lived title called Marvel. Oh God! Okay. Where? <laughs> Let's go. You know, part of the idea with this particular issue is, you know, the the very uh, the great truism that sex sells. Yes. And Marvel. Um, you know, you've got the sexed up Mary Jane, um, for example, uh, in their one cover with like, uh, you, you want some pizza and video games and a home video with your cheesecake. <laughs> uh, there, there are quite a few of those kind of covers. Yes. There's one cover where it was just like, you know, the, the fanboy wet dream being played out. Well, there's... There are there are multiple covers of Mary Jane essentially naked. Yeah, basically. In, in Mar in Marvel, there's also a couple covers of, uh, like, like sh- like ripped shirtless dudes just like, you know, it, it's it's cheesecakey across the board. It has the cheesecake and the beefcake. So yeah, but you know, I think that yeah, because they did like a Smallville, yes. tribute. I think is the word Marvel likes to use. Uh, cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a, a body painted uh Greg Horn cover that had uh Mary Jane like with her boobs painted like Spider-Man's eyes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. There was eyes are, Oh no, there. There was a beer pizza video game cover where yeah, she's naked or uh, implied nudity with that. You know, there there are all they pretty much really leaned on uh, Mary Jane in um, in various states of undress for their covers, yes. Exactly, and I, I think that that was just one of the ones that just was so patently blatant that it's like, you know, we're not even trying. We're, we're not going to pretend, in other words. Well, I we're mean... just going to come right out. And, and the thing about it is, again, the, the, I think the thing that bothers me most about this aren't that these things happened. It's that these things happened in a close enough corridor to Minara's Spider-Woman cover <laughs> that, you know, the anatomy notwithstanding, uh, it's just like, geez, have we become that sensitive that quickly? And I guess the answer is absolutely we have. Well, I, I don't know whether it's a matter of See, here's my issue with that statement is I think it became I think it became easy to be with with the advent of the Tipper Gores and the the realization that we live in a 24 hour news cycle where you could get coverage from being incensed about. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. It's almost like a competition to get recognized. Oh, I think it 100 percent is. I think it 100% is that. Yeah, we we absolutely, you know, when back when Obama's first bid for the presidency, I remember one of there being some news on, I don't know whose it was, hardly matters now, but they were going so far as just to fill another nine seconds, I guess, talking about something some idiot said on, as they called it, you know, uh, even on the blogosphere, <laughs> uh, it should have been spelled with F-E-A-R because they were – they took the time to quote some imbecile who said because uh, Barack and Michelle did a little victorious hand jab, 
was referred to as a Hezbollah-style hand jab. Back sure. when everybody was certain that, you know, this uh, radical Islam was going to overrun the country over eight years that that never happened. Uh, and it was like, okay, how does that, that – I think prior to that moment, that was known as a hand jab. Right, right. That was a that was a fist bump, or so I was trying to think of all the times before that that I'd seen, and why were those not classified as Hezbollah style? Right, because there's no such thing. <laughs> and, you know, it's. But I think yeah, that's part of it. Is if somebody gets upset about something, um, by way of example, somebody posted some uh, video on Facebook of a. a five-year-old kid bawling because they didn't like home, you know, the distance learning. Yeah. And then immediately people were like, you know, this is what we've become or something like that. And like, okay, based on one five-year-old, let me remind you, the key point here is five-year-old has a hissy fit. All of a sudden, the underpinnings of American society are being challenged. Five-year-old child doesn't like school news at 11. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what the hell? So I think, yeah, you're right. A lot of it is, you know, granted, I will give you that the objectification factor has been part of this from day one. Right. From the outset, it is 100% objectification. It is 100% fanboy service and, you know, teen mentality service. I was there once. I was that age once. I That's remember what I was saying vividly. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I remember vividly what I was like back then. <laughs> I don't want to, but I can. I remember every misconception that I had, and I came out okay despite it. But, you know, we all drew yeah. our little cartoon and had our little <laughs> BS fantasy ideas and shit, but we all got over it. But, you know, God forbid you put that on the cover of a book. If if God fought the devil and the savage dragon today, the, uh, you know, comic shops would be on fire yeah yeah no you're absolutely right and, and again i think that you know as we as we roll into this i think the only i think the only acceptable the only time that it was acceptable to really put cheesecake on um in your comics well john byrne did it with with uh john byrne did she hulk right i'm not crazy oh, no you're not crazy and john byrne did did uh sex up the old she hulk with a uh a dirty book issue where uh, he, she runs the foul of a cheesy, uh, <laughs> a sleazy rather publisher. Well, but he also had the the, the issues where she uh, the, she had a she had a pirate fantasy at one point. Somebody had a pirate fantasy. It was very male gazy. Uh, I'll I'll acknowledge that, but it was also funny. Yeah. Um. But I think that we have to talk about ninety one to ninety five at Marvel Comics now. I think it's time. To talk about. Oh, absolutely. Because you, you do have to point out that that is also the period. This works out very nicely. There was a group shot of the X-Men that was used to, uh, I think, at the point where they just became X-Men. Yes. And at the time, Storm was wearing, uh, she got her hair back. Right. She had big flowing uh, snowy locks again. And she was wearing pretty much the full-bodied leather uh cat suit thing going on right and there was a promotional pen i think i may still have one of these around somewhere that had that image except that the colorists made her midriff bare 
Okay. Even though everywhere else that image was published, it was just, you know, black with some white fiddly bits to, you know, invoke the sheen of light upon the shiny leather. Right. And it was like, okay, you know, this is, this is your, you're, you're like that, uh, whatever the hell that movie was, Looker or something like that, or, you know, you're trying to draw the eye to the model. Right. <laughs> away from the model in that, in the case of that movie. But, uh, um, you know, your eyes immediately drawn to Storm, like, oh, what, X-Men? Is, is this an X-Men book? Yeah. They really were pushing. And keep in mind, comics were, this is a period in which coming out of, you know, everybody was vying for a piece of their pie. Yeah. The, comics were wildly popular. This is the comics bubble. This is when you were going to put your kids That's through like school. That song. All I want is to have my piece of pie. <laughs> That, that's that's the right lyrics, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll say it is, but the but the whole point of this was it was it was a it was an escalating boob war to try to get people to buy your book. So you were going to do whatever it took, and and the you know the sales department was overriding the editorial department at every turn. I'm sure saying this this isn't we need to sex it up. We need to make this more sexy. We need to glam it up. Like, okay. Like, all right. But. You know what, fellas, boys? So, the the early 90s. I was young once. The early 90s. A few things stand out for me from the early 90s. Baywatch. Yeah. Um, a bunch of, like, Back to the Beach style movies. Uh, definitely, like, hard body bikini babes. Cinemax movies. Oh yeah, this was the the point where Cinemax brought home what you used to have to wait months for somebody to produce. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cinemax brought to your living room what you used to find in the woods, and yeah, you, and you had that at your disposal. And Marvel, being kind of cunning, kind of smart, decided to jump on jump on a bandwagon that was that was running every year and that was the the sports illustrated swimsuit issue yes indeed sold i I realize we live in a digital age but if you grew up in the 90s or you were in the 80s and the 90s um and you were alive and of a certain age (laughs) there every news every news channel every publication every conversation every radio show talked about the sports illustrated swimsuit issue who was getting the cover you know when it came out you knew it oh yes i mean not just because the seasons had changed you fucking knew you heard it it was it was in your face marvel decided hey why don't we um make a marvel comics swimsuit issue every year a marvel swimsuit special and just Draw the hell out of some abs and some boobies and some thongs and some well, weird shit. Was, they're like, what is the number one selling from the very from the outset from the advent of this particular type of magazine? What was the number one selling Sports Illustrated consistently year after year after year? And that was the, the swimsuit issue. Yes. Yeah. You know, you get. Uh, 
what's her name, uh, Billy Joel's wife with a couple of scallops over her tits, and all of a sudden <laughs> you sell a half million more copies that year or that well, month. Well, yeah. And, and the, the thing is, our, our little school library subscribed to Sports Illustrated, oh, and no. that issue always conspicuously absent. Oh, no. <laughs> and the, I, the funny thing was, so the first year was a pretty straight-ahead uh, Sports Illustrated, like a, like a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, right? You had you had your pretty cut and dry um, shit in '91, um, and and it was a it, it, here are the taglines, okay? It, it was in the Savage Land because they did much like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue, they had a location. Oh yeah, they they didn't go to Belize or um, Trinidad and Tobago or uh, no New Zealand. No, they went to Attilan. Yes. Or the Savage Land, or... Yeah, but the the first one was the Savage Land, the cover was She-Hulk, and the centerfold was Mary Jane. Okay. And the taglines were, a sophisticated parody for everyone who loves comics, the boys and girls of summer, and the Super Olympics down under were the, were the, first, were the first issue, and that was 91. Wow. Um, 92 had Storm and Psylocke, and it was in Wakanda, and it was Take a Wakanda Wildside. I remember that one I well. do, too. It had Storm on the cover wearing a, like, like real cheeky red, and she had a parrot on her shoulder. And that's the thing that I think Marvel and their, then when I said they had a lot of fun with it, I think the first one was just, uh, you know, they did it. But yeah. when they realized what they could get away with. Yeah. Because, again, comics aren't bound by the laws of reality or physics or <laughs> good taste or anything. Oh, yes. You started getting these really crazy-ass, um, like, swimsuit issues. Just bizarre, <laughs> bizarre shit that was so much, so weird and surreal and just so much fun. Um, <laughs> I, I do have a, I do have a quote for you, okay? Um... Hold on, let me, uh, man, where was it? I have a quote for later, but I'm trying to get the swimsuit issue because I want to see some of this imagery because there is some wondrous, wondrous imagery. And I do have a story about this that I heard on the news of all things that, that piqued my interest. Um, a lot of the weirdest stuff happened in 90. So I think 93, I'll go ahead and tell the story now because it, it, oh, yeah, the, you should. The, the story just makes me really happy. So... <laughs> Are you familiar with the name Chris Cooper? He was an editor for Marvel. Sounds familiar. Um, so Chris C Cooper was recently on the news um, because um, a woman called the police on him at Central Park in New York um, when he asked her to leash her dog. It should be said Chris Cooper is a black man. But he, but she had her dog off her leash. It was one of those situations where she called the cops on a guy that was trying to get her to do the right thing and care and out yeah. on the on the cops. Um, and he made the national news because of that. Okay. And it came out pretty quickly that he was he was at one point an ex editor for Marvel Comics. So of course I went, oh, well that's interesting. I want to look this up, um, and see what <laughs> and and see what his um you know, see what he did. Um, and I'm not going to use the actual term because I, I landed on shortly thereafter a, an article by Warren Ellis talking about Christian Cooper. 
Um, and the story goes that um, <laughs> that he um, he so every year they would do these swimsuit issues, right? And they would yeah. they would farm them off to some editor to handle them. And I guess Chris Cooper got a Christian Cooper got a uh, a reputation for being kind of a freewheeling jokester kind of guy in the, in the in the Marvel bullpen. And this thing landed in his lap. It also needs to be said that Chris Cooper is a, is a, is a gay man. Okay, he is he is a gay man. So they <laughs> gave this guy who is kind of a recognizable and known. Uh, Jack and Ape rap scallion around the office, um, and also a gay man. The uh, the wheel to the to the Marvel swimsuit issue, <laughs> and what we get out of it is just in in Warren Ellis's words the gayest comic book he had ever seen, and that is <laughs> 1993's brilliant. And I talked to Roy about this um, most brilliant. Just work of insanity. If you have the chance to look up um, 1993's Marvel Swimsuit issue, please, by all means, do so. Because this is the one that features the Punisher. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, this up... is the one that went where you're starting to see more heavily the uh, the beefcake as well as the cheesecake. Well, that, prior, but that's why. They were almost entirely, you know, occasionally you might get... You might get Thor and Iron Man, and that would be it. Then here you get like six or eight guys. But and that's why is because he wanted that representation. A and B, he just wanted to a have fun and kind of turn this thing on its head. And if you read the um, like, because each one of those, each one of the pages has a little blurb, almost Wizard magazine um, blurb associated with it. And the blurbs are great, but this one has the Punisher in little. Jean Renault sunglasses, <laughs> just wearing a Punisher logo speedo, but it's like big, but it's like the size of his chest thing, holding beach, holding a beach ball aloft in front of a sign that obviously says hot dogs, 75 cents. <laughs> it is brilliant. And that was the outrageous part. You right. Hot dog for 75 cents. And they are, and they are just, um. And, and and apparently the the, the rest of the um, everyone remembers that per- everybody who worked on it remembers that particular swimsuit issue super fondly because they were just submitting this outrageous <laughs> art to their editor who was like no no um, a Punisher needs more abs <laughs> he only has a twelve pack <laughs> he needs like four can you put fourteen on there um, the logo isn't isn't you got an eraser right <laughs> isn't big enough. Like, I just, it's just so amazing. And that's the one where on the cover you had Namor uh, and Sue. Just, oh, God, it was so, I, I look back on these swimsuit issues with such a fondness. Just such a fondness. Um, just makes me so, just makes me so happy. Well, it's the sort of thing I, I don't think they're publishing that kind of stuff anymore. Oh, they're not. Because they can't. It's oh. just this, this environment would never allow for it. Keep in mind that, um, that this whole comic is free to read online if you want to. <laughs> by the way, the intro to issue three is by Watu the Watcher. Wow, how, how this, stalkery. This is the Attilan one, by the way. 
Okay, yeah, I, I remember that one. Yeah, where it talks about the festival of water that, that the Inhumans have, um, and how he, um, <laughs> and how he has to watch this every year. <laughs> <laughs> It is so, it is so great. It is, uh, it's the, it's the one time you get to see, uh, you get to see the thing in a swimsuit. Um, <laughs> Black Widow, oh my god. It just, uh, <laughs> you get a giant, a giant, uh, husband bulge on Wolverine in this yeah. thing. It's just, I'm looking at it now, and it just makes uh. me so, uh, Bullseye having that weird, uh, bullseye logo uh oh yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about and, and off center to accompany my uh swimsuit watching it was very bizarre it was very bizarre but yeah so so there's that now cole will you please take us on a uh a journey of um of milo minara and the antique uh controversy of the 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 milo of course you know that was a topic that when it was topical uh was very much a part of this show and then we just continue uh to invoke it from time to time because it it still remains um an important uh piece of outrage uh, from the history of comics and that is of course the uh, Spider-Woman cover by Myla Minara who unbeknownst to uh, apparently Marvel and certainly most of the United States was a classical or classic cheesecake and dirty book author and artist of some renown and had been at this for a long ass time. Mm -hmm. It's not like he just came out of, you know, he wasn't some puerile fanboy uh, trying to, you know, live his, uh, his adolescent dreams. This was somebody who, you know, was really a big part of comics overseas for decades before Marvel started tapping him for really awkward comic covers, presumably <laughs> just tell to, you know, to appeal to a very adult audience and not appeal apparently to the new cycle outrage machine. Well, and I, you know, we don't know the whole story of how this cover got made, but go ahead. I'm sorry. We make our own. So we make our own, but I imagine that you don't, you don't turn this over to Marvel and have Marvel just not. And by the way, he's done comic covers for Marvel since. Okay. But you don't turn this over to Marvel and then Marvel runs with it and then blames you. Yeah. I mean, somebody somewhere had to see that. And were they in such a big hurry to get that issue out that they couldn't pull the old Marvel trick of just getting some hack or to sketch up a quick, thing that they could color instantly and be done with it right and let's not forget 
his covers like like uh, the Amazing X Men one, the uh, Kurt Wagner variant oh, cover, very very variant awkward, variant awkward cover. Uh, let's not forget his his um, art is not limited solely to you know, snapping the spines of Spider-Woman in Marvel Comics covers. He's got Kurt Wagner with a very precariously placed tail. If you haven't seen it, it's there. And it's, it's, Oh, it's, it's very much there. It's really there. Um, it's a whole lot of there. So what else do you want to talk about cheesecake wise? Cause I think we've, we've really Let's talk about the point where cheesecake gets elevated literally to the next level. Okay. And that is, during the what literally was the tail end of the adult comic boom. Okay. And that's where mainstream adult collides with the adult comic market. And that would, of course, be Penthouse Comics. Okay. Now we're getting into it. All right. Now, Penthouse Comics was actually Penthouse Magazine's foray into the comic realm. Uh, into the direct market, of course, but uh, it actually had mainstream creators who were contributors to to that. Uh, I think uh, who was it? Adam Hughes, I think was. It wouldn't shock me one. Yeah, Adam Adam Hughes was involved. The guy who did Marvel Zombies, Arthur Sudam, was involved. Like, wow. Milo yeah. Manara, of course, because, <laughs> I mean, why not? Um, okay. This is my first kind of foray into Penthouse Comics, the, the 32 mainstream. 32 issues the damn thing ran. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, Adam Hughes is somebody that deserves some conversation when it when we start talking about um, Cheesecake. Because he was, he was definitely somebody who kind of had that market... Um, cornered professionally um he worked on wonder woman he worked on Catwoman. he's not without his share of controversy in and of itself um but he is wildly successful in um in comics he's worked for the bigs he's worked for all the bigs he's worked for lucas films he's worked for warner brothers he's worked for mutant <laughs> enemy he's done work for sideshow collectibles and um you know dark horse he he is recognizably the most predominant cheesecake artist working today. And his art is, his art is wonderful. Like, yeah. like it's great. So I'm sorry to, to derail penthouse comics. Keep oh going. no, that's quite all right. Uh, I just remember, uh, having, uh, ownership of the first couple issues. Oh really? And, and there was some, the Adam Hughes was involved in a fun little story, which made, you know, it was, it poked a lot of fun at, at the, traditional comic genres in which he was most commonly associated. And uh, apparently when I was reading up on it uh, overseas, one of the issues, uh, a story, it was, it was an anthology type of things. So you had different yeah. stories by different creators. And uh, apparently the, the uh, depiction of Adolf Hitler was uh, <laughs> ran afoul of uh laws in some European countries. So the editor of the uh, penthouse comics deliberately made a swastika, a very big part of the third issues cover. Oh, really? Just to kind of inflame the situation. So, you know, a lot of times the, uh, the outrage or, you know, in this case, uh, 
the legal specifics uh, only uh, cause somebody to uh, try to, you know, poke the bear a little bit. And I think you get away with that at Penthouse. Yeah, you, you kind of figure they're poking something every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I, I just that one came to mind as a uh, one of the more prevalent uh, examples of. You know, when cheesecake can just be taken to the ultimate uh, exaggeration point. Well, and I think we're to a point now where you don't see as much mainstream uh, cheesecake. Everything is everything is kind of and I I can't say in the mainstream that I disagree with it. You know, I think we're getting a as as fantastic and, and, and weird and strange as comics need to be to survive to be um to to uh, to spark the creativity and the imagination and tell their narrative yeah you know the idea that that we need um cheesecake in the mainstream in the bigs i don't think is necessarily the case but i think i think i'll always have a special place in my heart for cheesecake and i think it exists it exists independently um and i and i love that I love the fact that it still is out there and it still exists in, in the independent markets and they're still making it and it's still weird and salacious and strange <laughs> and fun. That's, that's... And, you, and you do still have those creators who, uh, you know, uh, in defense of cheesecake, uh, <laughs> DC has done an amazing job taking the least exaggerated incarnation and keeping it alive. And that's in their, both co- comic covers and collectibles. The uh, oh, I forget the line where they're doing basically the nose art versions. Oh, the the uh, oh god, like the pinup. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, pinups for the pent up. <laughs> um, bombshell line. Bombshells, yes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So yes, it, it's kind of managing to sneak it in and say, you know, this is the kind of thing your great-great-grandfather was their titillation and their cheesecake. And, you know, granted opinions about the um, how seriously women were taken in that period differ vastly from today. But, you know, this is a part of Americana that if we pretend it doesn't exist or we try to disappear it from the lexicon we are ultimately doing ourselves a greater disservice what we need to do is acknowledge understand and move forward but you can't move forward from things you hide from or that you hide well and i think that i think it's a good thing that you brought up bombshells you're 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 a very professional podcaster cole i appreciate you for that um at the end of the show, try as I may, I, I you, wind up being one just, anyway, in spite of myself. You, you'll swing at anything, man, and you you hit it you hit it more times than you don't. You yeah, got a good well, batting average. Um, it's like balls, how could you miss at that range? Because it is nostalgia, right? There, there is there is this nostalgic idea in comics coming back around, but also it's taking cheesecake and empowering it. Because if you've read any of those comics or or any of that, they're they're actually pretty good comics about you know uh, that aren't that aren't all male gazy about yeah. about the the female heroines in comics kicking a bunch of ass 
but they're but they're dressed in in, in more cheesecakey outfits and little crappie toppies and things like that. But they're wailing on things, predominantly written and and illustrated by women. They're great. So kudos for them for taking back the power of the cheesecake. And I think that we're seeing that in a big way, whether it's through cosplay or whether it's through you know uh, women created comics. Um, taking these ideas of, of sexuality and power and leaning into them in a little bit in, in, in good ways, instead of male yeah. gazy lady death, <laughs> <laughs> accosting my eyes at a convention, bad ways. Up here, fanboy. Oh God. <laughs> Air horns and boobies. It's all, yeah. that's all that booth was. And it was just, not to get too industry, but it was, it was, it was a standard four booth castle. Oh yeah. They, there was a time when people would bring out the tall tower and then they, uh, realized that that was not a, a perpetual thing. It was not going to last forever. <laughs> it, was, it was a weird time to be a comic fan. <laughs> There was all. I imagine it's not different than Wall Street in the '80s, where there was just an influx, a massive influx of money, and you're giving it to these 22, 23 year olds. And oh yeah, you can do whatever you want. The Wolf of Comic Con. <laughs> the Wolf of Comic Con. Why hasn't that been a documentary yet about like about like Todd McFarlane or Jim Lee? Because they could. I guarantee you there are so many stories about shit that has gone that went down in the industry during that time period that it would that you could tell you could tell a lot of stories about that. Oh yeah, well apparently I I think especially with McFarlane, I think he used to have a lot of fun with just, you know, being at comic cons and doing things uh you know, kind of showing up in unique ways and, and doing fun things like that. But, you know, the the main thing is that the 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 cheesecake when it started jumping off the page might well have been the beginning of the end. Yet it still in many ways perpetuates to this day. Like is it dynamite or somebody who had the um like the John Carter? Yeah. And they you know, they would still have the, the naked boobies covers and you know, that gimmick still perpetuated even up to a few years ago that I'm aware of and may may well still be around to this day. Oh, it is. It is. It's just like I said, I think it's kind of been relegated back to even even the popular, uh, more revenue-rich independents, but, but the independents. You don't see as much really these days in the, you know, from Marvel and DC as you started to do in the definitely in like the mid nineties and in the up through the mid two thousands, you, you were seeing, you were seeing cheesecake in those books, you know, absolutely. And then the one other thing to kind of tie it together with our new show, uh, all of the toys. Oh God. <laughs> is we can't talk about this period without talking about the cheesecake action figure. Oh, I mean, yes. for God's sake, Helena and other of that ilk, got action figures made during this period. Somebody tooled up and made like 14 versions of Helena, including the infamous blood splatter where somebody took red paint on a toothbrush at the factory. Well, there's a, there's currently a Kickstarter for Lady Death. Yes, that's so a, true. Lady a new Death Lady has, Death figure. And the thing about it was the, the big one, the, the king of the hill back then was more action collectibles. Yes. If they hired or, you know, had among their corral some of the best sculptors 
in the industry, and they were pumping out Lady Death, Vampirella, Purgatory, Witchblade, Witchblade, Witchblade. Oh, the Witchblade figures were fathom egregious. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean Fathom was just shy of uh, replicating the Joni long torso look of uh, of the character's Dark Child. Oh God, uh, wa- uh, uh, Warrior Nun. Warrior Nun Ariella was a unique animal in that the very first Warrior Nun action figures came that came out looked nothing apart from just the basic core design. Right. Looked absolutely nothing like the character. And I think that Antarctic kind of went like, hey, what gives? And so subsequent lines had more of the the kind of line flow. But that wasn't by Moore, but I, I'm not sure who did those. But they had... The the flow of the the sculpt replicated more of Ben Dunn's artwork. Yeah. Uh, later they did like Shotgun Mary or mm-hmm. whatever it was, and a couple others. I think they may have even done the Warrior Pope. I think they did. I just love that there's a Warrior Pope. I I'm. <laughs> but you know what's what's really funny? So just to talk a little bit about how infectious cheesecake is, and then I think when we need to wrap it up is. There's currently a, a, a Netflix Warrior Nun Ariella show. Yes. I'm, I'm so proud of Ben Dunn. I, and it's, it's fan- actually had the second season yeah. greenlit. In it's production. fantastic. It's wonderful. Lacey and I have been watching it, and it well, is – Because is, a lot of people were like, no, this isn't my Warrior Nun. And I'm like, this is TV. But, You're but not going to get But that's kind of what I wanted to talk about was my exposure to the Warrior Nun Ariella was the action figure. That was my opening exposure to that. Yeah, because they were doing like Gold Digger and some of the other uh, character titles yeah. and characters as well. Yeah, so when you when I saw the Warrior Nun, act, you know, comic, it doesn't, it, it's not as explicit as the action figure was. Yeah. Even the comic wasn't. I mean, it is. She's got a little like you know one piece uh, jumpsuit kind of you know a, a female banana hammock thing going on. Yeah, she's got the uh, what is it, Huntress, uh, uh, you know, skin window. Yes, yes. Action. But the action figure was, uh, um, let's just say, uh, it was, uh, it was out there. You got you got some skin on that action figure to yeah. some extent. Um, and then you know the TV show was much different than that. You know the TV show is much different than that. You don't have the same. You you have you have none of the exploitive really uh, factors in the in the TV show. It's just good straight ahead, you know, uh, Catholic comic book fun. Um, nice. Everybody should watch it. It's really I wasn't sure going into it if I was going to uh, enjoy it, but I ended up really enjoying it. But I think it's funny that my exposure to the comic came from the action figure. That's amazing. Yeah, and I was like. Well, this isn't as sexed up as I thought it. Even the comic <laughs> wasn't. I was like, this isn't as sexed up as I thought it was going to be. And uh, so it's it, it, the cheesecake feeds. It's like an aurora boris of boobies and abs. It feeds on itself. All right, Cole. Final oh, yeah. thoughts, us so we can get out of here, will you? Well, I think that you know there are part and parcel to this show is finding ways to look at comics in ways you know from angles. And through lenses we may not always think about. And when I came across those titles here and there smattered through this collection, it occurred to me, this is 
love it, hate it, bear it complete indifference. This is a vitally important aspect yeah. of the history of comics in this country because it was very much prevalent during the indie boom. Yes. And in many ways carried cheesecake carried the indie boom. Uh-huh. It was sort of like, you know, um some titles would be like an appetizer, some of your indie titles, and others uh had a little bit more meat and potatoes, like the elementals, for example. And then if you wanted a uh a, a nice uh fulfilling dessert, you might uh, order some cheesecake. Because we're setting out the courses of our comic pull list in the nineties. That's hilarious. No, you're, but you're right, and it, yeah. and it has a rich cheesecake. Iron Man has a, a bit of an aperitif. Cheesecake has a rich history outside of U.S. comics, because a yeah. lot of people oh, very that, much so. that came up making comics as independents, um, heavily into manga and anime, which has a huge cheesecake factor in and of itself culturally. Um, you know, the, of course, Europe has a much looser um, moral standing than we do when it comes to their media. So you had a lot more in, in European um, publications and comics. Than... Absolutely. You know, uh, Europe, by and large, you know, culturally speaking or from the standpoint of what is and isn't um, kind of acceptable, as yes. it were, um, it, it seems like in many ways European countries are – more afraid of the things we should be afraid of. Like the European censors are not that concerned about sex and sexuality as they are about excesses and violence. Yes. Uh, by way of example, when Ray Harry has a big article about him, they had to limit how much, how bloody the, uh, you know, uh, sailors who were savaged by dragons or cyclopes or whatever in Sinbad movies, it could put maybe a, a dot or two of red here to, uh, otherwise you might not get past the uh, British censors because it was too violent, even though it was like not real people getting attacked by not real things. It, it's, we can talk all day about the importance of cheesecake in comics and the importance of sexuality and the importance of you know, back into World War Two and, and, and on up through Wonder Woman. Um, yeah. We didn't even talk about Wonder Woman, who surprisingly, outside of, you know, your variant covers and things like that, I think there was a really strong editorial mandate not to sex up Wonder Woman too much. And yeah. I, I think that we've kind of ridden that out for a long time. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that is hard to describe the importance of to a mainstream audience that isn't into comics because of the fact that it is salacious. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard for me to say, no, 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 those boobs are important. And, you know, historically and culturally important to comic fans, uh, because we all have really fond memories of, uh, of issues of Witchblade or the fathom, um, you know, that were really um, informative to our comic book reading careers. Um, Absolutely. I, I think one of the greatest responses to that in an indie was an actual indie publication of a superheroine called Headlights. Damn it. <laughs> and she had actual, like, 
you know, halogen lamps on her breast style area of her costume. <laughs> and, you know, Catherine wanted me to buy a copy of it because it was just so wonderfully outrageous. And you could tell that tongue was planted firmly in cheek in the production of this title. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people caught a raft of crap about it, but I, I think that it was just Excuse winking me. at this very, you know, when you take an exaggerated look at things, then you're truly giving them your full attention. And, and you know, you're, you're paying attention to what they are and what's going on in the industry, et cetera. So, by the way, if you head over to uh, LadyDeathStore.com. Oh, my God. Now I've got to head over to LadyDeathStore.com. You get your full retinue. Christian Vampirella. You, get, you can get a full retinue of cheesecake. Wow. The reason I landed on this, Cole, is I found a um, – I'll send you a copy of I'll – send, I'll send you this image of this comic cover. And I'm wondering if it's by our friend. You'll have to let me know. If that cover is by our friend or not. But Lady Death Store is fantastic. Wow, it is. I love this. It's just, <laughs> I didn't realize there was so much to be seen. Yeah, but that's, I th- okay, so here's another thing before we wrap up the show. <laughs> I love that some of these are, are have a, like a sensor window that says naughty. Yes. And some say risque. <laughs> the naughty one, it looks like she at least has some sort of clothing on and maybe you can see some nipplage. The risque one is looks to be fully topless. I'm not sure where the designation is, <laughs> editorially speaking. Um, we need to talk a little bit about how a lot of this got moved to the Internet. Oh, that's true. Because, another factor. Yeah, that's another factor in this is that if I can go online and publish my cheesecake art on DeviantArt or on, you know, uh, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, I don't need to publish it in a comic anymore. That's true, yeah. So that's just another factor of what's going on here. Um, oh, that's a... Oh, Cole. Oh, Cole. Everybody, uh, stop what you're do- doing immediately and go to LadyDeathStore.com. <laughs> I just posted a... Uh, I just sent, sent you an image of one of their uh, one of their pieces of art there, and with that, I think we should close this close this Absolutely. up. I think we we need to go ahead and close that down. But uh, you know, take a different look at cheesecake from the standpoint of we can't arrive where we are today without having gone on a journey as a culture, and where we are today. Cheesecake was part of the journey. Uh, you know, I think you get this exaggeration of things right before they end. Right. Right before they be, are no longer culturally acceptable. Right. You get a death knell. You get a final spasm. That's right. This was their, their final stand, and uh, that that's an important part of the history of comics that we don't need to be ignoring and pretending never happened. Uh, doesn't mean we are embracing it. Unless you just really want to, or you just really living your nineties uh, teen years, like Andy. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and the cool thing about this is, much like everything else now, if you're into cheese cheesecake art, you can find exactly the cheesecake art you're looking for now. 
Oh, that's so true. Or you can have somebody just make it for, for you on the fly. So if you want Puck serving ice cream nude <laughs> to Sasquatch while he's like licking cookies and cream off his claw, you know, with the with the um, with the copper tone baby look on his face, face, you know, with his ass to the camera. <laughs> That's right. I've got five people who can do that for you by tomorrow. Exactly. If you want Wolverine pulling down uh, Jean Grey's uh, bathing suit like the Coppertone dog. <laughs> now I want... Damn it. <laughs> God. You never knew how much you wanted that. I didn't, and that. now I do, and now I'm going to reach out to those five people and say, I would like this done, please. <laughs> Which one of you will take this commission? I guarantee you. I can name two of them that will. I promise you it's not that RC commission that somebody at the convention won. By the way, I still, to this day, speaking of commissions as we close this up, I still want to find the guy who had Gambit fighting an alligator. I know, I know. I think his name was James, and I, I'm trying to figure out ways to like reach out to the community and see if anyone can track him down, because we need to talk to this man. We need to, we need to interview that guy. All right, Cole, well, why don't you plug us up and we'll get out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for the latest Hey Kids comics on our new every other week schedule. The uh, the new 50 or no, was it new 42 the new or 42? 40, yeah, the new 42. So this is the first of the new 42. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody, here at the Jedi Cole Universe, thejedicole.com. Um, I still have not uh, made that promised uh, universal email so just try to us at jcumail at yahoo.com and be sure to uh, check us out every other week here at the JCU with all the toys excuse me now I've got it with all the toys and uh, if you want even more toy coolness the first and third Sunday of every month over at dallasonair.com I have my monthly uh, live streaming video show Isle of Toys A-I-S-L-E uh, because Isle of Toys and uh, the first and third Sundays every month, uh, Isle of Toys is uh, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. Central on the third Sunday. The first and third Sundays of every month from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central is the Ranch Corps Pit Live with myself and Eddie Medina. And we just talk about whatever we want to talk about when it comes to the Star Wars. And in honor of the 45th anniversary of the Empire Strikes Back, Empire Building is our next topic oh very nice i love that all right so in two weeks we're going to come back and talk about more comics uh next week you can catch us on isle or uh all the toys and uh all the the isle of all the toys and uh we will we will be talking i don't know what we're talking about yet but it's going to be hella fun we're still working on getting all you know getting intros recorded and art done and uh soundscaping and everything else for that show so Bear with us while we get everything up and running for that. For that, I've got to hiccup something wicked, people. I apologize. <laughs> so on that I note, was to for a minute. I was. I think I. I think I got the hiccups from uh, that lady death. Uh, LadyDeathStore.com. Oh, good ass. I think. Uh, I think I had an '80s Porky's movie moment there, and <laughs> ended up with the hiccups. All right, Cole. Say good night to everybody. See the scar. Porky, give it to me. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good night.